recent uh, news, at the end of 2021, 20, uh, we acquired the uranium assets of Uranium One from the Russians. So um, everyone remembers the, the Clinton story and, and uh, the deal with the Russians. We bought those assets back from the Russians. They're back in American hands. And so now we have these two production platforms. So South Texas is one of the most prospective uh, uranium districts in the world for uh, new discoveries and, and future production. So uh, we'll be, uh, we want to invest in not only <clears throat> mines here in the U.S., but, but globally that'll help meet that, uh, that gap going forward. So uh, again, the, the idea is to provide uh, exposure to uranium uh, uh, early stage in the cycle. We're probably in, in the second inning of, of the uranium bull market that we're in right now. And uh, those are two excellent ways to invest in uranium either directly into UEC as a producer or uranium royalty as a diversified portfolio. Hey everybody, this is Rob Keynes at goldsoverpros.com. I have a very important first time guest on the program. It is Scott Melby, who is the Chief Executive Officer, President and Director of Uranium Royalty Corporation here to talk about the uranium market and developments that uh, Uranium Royalty Corporation has had uh, since we last talked about them on the program a few months ago. Scott, how are you doing today? Rob, it's great to be with your uh, viewers. Uh, talk about uranium these days. Yeah, it is. And uranium has seen quite the, the bull market, Scott. Uh, we've been looking at it probably 10 years ago was the first article I wrote on Seeking Alpha as an analyst. And we all saw what we thought were going to be bullish uh, supply demand dynamics, which eventually came to fruition, Scott, but it seemed to take a long time. Was that the longest <laughs> bear market in uranium you've seen? Uh, yeah, it's one of the longest. Uh, uh, you know, I think uranium is a bit of a unique commodity. Uh, if, mm -hmm. you know, your viewers and your investors uh, that are familiar with uh, base metals, precious metals, silver, gold, um, it's a much more efficient market that acts, uh, you know, reacts to price signals much more real time. And so you tend to have the market clear more efficiently. With uranium, it's not uncommon that we get <clears throat> very low, prolonged, severe bear markets. Uh, and then we also can go the other way as the market swings to undersupply. Uh, we get, you know, uh, prices go well beyond what the sort of market equilibrium clearing price might, you know, what the economists might say would be the market clearing. And uh, so, you know, that, that presents with it a lot of investor, uh, you know, risk reward that's quite attractive. And yeah, we have gone through a 10 year bear market where after Fukushima, we had both supply and demand impacts. But <clears throat> after finally uh, the market beginning to rationalize in 2017, uh, 2016 saw uranium uh, production globally peak out and start to drop off dramatically because of the, the fall off of hedged contracts, something you don't have in, in the gold market uh, as much. So with the hedges coming off, global production uh, fell. We've been producing 60 million pounds a year of production, less than uh, global consumption of around 200 million pounds annually now. <clears throat> so it's been a massive drawdown of secondary supplies and, and inventory, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, you know that that's coming just at a time when we had some black swan events and other big big market events and mega trends that have kind of collided with this uh, supply and demand picture. First, COVID took about half of global production offline uh, at mm -hmm. a time when 
nuclear power plants continued as, as essential services. So the demand was unimpacted. Supply was, was severely impacted, which is now only now recovering from. We've had the entry of a uh, physical uranium trust in the name of Sprott Physical Uranium Trust that <clears throat> is bought close to four, $3.4 billion worth of uranium off, off the open market and uh, helped clear the inventories and now with Russia, Ukraine. Uh, it shouldn't be as big of impact as it is if in the United States, you would think we're, we're kind of uh, not impacted by Russian, Kazakh, uh, Uzbek uranium supplies where we get about 50% of our uranium supplies from, from those sources for 20% of our electricity today, mm -hmm. 55% of our carbon-free power. So um, <clears throat> it's a situation where if Russia is, is uh, impacted by bans either legislatively or by the Biden administration or Putin <clears throat> embargoes us the other way, uh, we're looking at a, a pretty significant disruption of supplies in the near term and a longer term refocus on Western supplies, whether it's Australia, Canada, the United States, or uh, you know, any countries that are not sort of uh, under the, the control of China and Russia, I think you really see um, a, a much more strategic uh, diversified view by the uranium consumers, the electric utility companies going forward. Yeah, I want to talk about Western supplies here in a moment, but I wanted to start off with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Russia recently has done a couple of things. They pegged the ruble to gold, and they've also uh, requested or actually demanded, quite frankly, that their natural gas be paid for in rubles. It's quite possible they could do that with other commodities. And Russia is a huge holder of vast natural resources. You know, if they do something along those lines with uranium or other energy uh, materials, how do you think that affects the overall uh, pricing in the Western market? Is that, is that bullish for the Western market? Yeah, well, I think uh, what, what we're finding is I don't think you'll find any, you know, many people out there that, that don't believe that Putin should be sanctioned for what's happening in Ukraine. It's appalling mm -hmm. on so many levels, it's almost hard to, to fathom. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in a number of countries in, in uh, you know, Central Europe, Western Europe, and the United States, we've, we've really grown complacent and, and we're relying far too much on Russia than we should have. So it's not a matter of if they should be sanctioned, it's more when. So you know, there's legislation before the US House and Senate that would call for an immediate ban on, on uranium imports, much like is being, uh, I think, passed the Senate with unanimous support mm -hmm. on oil, gas, and coal from Russia. So mm -hmm. it's really um, you know, how quickly can the utilities wean themselves off of this Russian supply, which in retrospect was a huge risk management failure. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the flip side is there is a robust Western nuclear fuel cycle of uranium producers outside of the Russian Chinese world that can ramp up the uranium conversion, uranium enrichment. It's just we need those signals to say, hey, we're moving on. Um, you know, I think going forward, you'll have a bifurcated market where Russia supplies its, its countries and its sphere of influence and the West uh, has, its, has its own industry going forward. So a little, a little bit like uh, back how it was in the Cold War early in my career, uh, they were two separate markets and we may be going back to that going forward. Yeah, I think that's key. We just had a discussion with us, Chris Temple and another uh, gentleman joined the program uh, yesterday about where we're going with global markets. And it seems to be the end, Scott, of 
uh, globalization. Maybe we're deglobalizing and in some countries even de-dollarizing to an extent. We're going to maybe have regional markets. Yeah. Um, given the fact, you know, with Fukushima and then Germany saying they want to take their nuclear offline, that seemed to be very bearish for the uranium market. But you have China on the other side saying they want to establish 150 new reactors and, and increase supply. And I think, you know, given the issues we've had here domestically in the U.S. with wind and solar and problems with baseload, you know, which I saw um, front and center in Texas with uh, the snows last year, which cut power to much of Texas. Uh, it, it seems as though there are competing factors in the Iranian market. Do you think overall there is going to be increased demand in terms of new nuclear output? And do you think that Germany is going to come back to the table given the Russia situation with natural gas and say, hey, we need to reestablish our uranium yeah. presence? Well, this is, I mean, this is the biggest mega trend to really impact the uranium and nuclear energy story is, mm -hmm. is um, this realization that the move towards green energy, if it's done poorly, um, and, and, and done without regards to cost or, or reliability like you've seen in, in Texas, but we've had in California and Australia. Germany is the ultimate example where they moved, a, they moved to a green uh, economy, spent hundreds of billions of euros on renewables, uh, and all they've achieved is uh, electricity prices 50% higher than nuclear France next door. Uh, they haven't cut carbon emissions by any meaningful measure over this period and the reliance on Russian gas has, has had huge implications. So we've got to do, if we want to move to green energy, we've got to do it smartly. Nuclear is really being recognized now as uh, an energy source that's as clean and safe as wind and solar, but it runs 95% of the time, not 30%. And so it's not surprising. We've seen 62 nuclear power plants uh, connected to the grid around the world in the last eight years. We have 54 more under construction. And we're now beginning to see the first wave of these small modular and advanced reactors, which um, you know, are being built by folks like Bill Gates at TerraPower, New Scale X Energy. Some of these are very similar to the nuclear naval reactors, which are just smaller versions of, of reactors that uh, if they've operated safely uh, under the Arctic and the Persian Gulf and the Cold War and submarines and aircraft carriers, pretty sure they can be built safely uh, on land to provide scalable uh, affordable clean energy, either to remote grids or as part of a, 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 an energy mix in larger uh, established uh, electricity grids. So yeah, this is really the, the big move and it's, it's translated into bipartisan support. Uh, I've had the privilege of testifying before the US Senate twice in the last year on nuclear energy and uranium issues. And I've never seen this level of bipartisan support. Folks like uh, Senator Manchin out of West Virginia Mm -hmm. are, are very pro-nuclear. Uh, Cory Booker out of New Jersey, uh, you know, coming alongside senators like uh, John Barrasso from Wyoming and coming together and saying, hey, we're for nuclear energy. If we're serious about carbon emissions, you can't get there on wind and solar alone. So that's mm -hmm. really the driver of the story. Uh, you know, the Russia situation is kind of a kind of came out of left field, but uh, the long-term trend here is for uh, greater growth in nuclear power. And that's going to require a lot of uh, new uranium mine development. So, I mean, if, if investors are looking, how do I play the nuclear energy story? The most direct exposure you can get and the biggest torque to that is going to be investing in the uranium space, whether it's with uranium mining company equities individually uh, or in the commodity itself, like Yellow Cake PLC out of London or, or uh, 
uh, Spot uh, Physical Uranium Trust, or um, companies like Uranium Royalty Corp, which are kind of a hybrid of, of all these, almost more of an ETF, which provides you exposure to a portfolio of uranium mine developments of which we have royalty and streaming interests in, and, and uh, shareholders get that exposure to uranium in a more diversified uh, vehicle. So back to domestic supplies here in the U.S. and I would say even North America, do we have enough supply uh, given this additional interest or do we need to secure more supply? Yeah, so, you know, our decision to go heavily into uh, our reliance on Russia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan was more of a commercial preference and I think driven more by the the predatory pricing practices of these state-owned entities in those countries. When Western producers in Canada, the U.S., Australia were cutting back supplies because of the low uranium price. They were increasing production to try to drive Western producers out of business. And so um, because it was a commercial preference, um, we, can, we can move away from it as a preference as well. The United States has over a billion pounds of known and likely uranium resources. Mm-hmm. In the Western United States, um, we have you know, robust uh, industry in Canada and Australia and other countries. So we can easily get ourselves off of Russian uranium in, in the near term, there may be some, you know, price impact like we're seeing. Uranium prices uh, approaching sixty-four dollars a pound in the spot market. That's up from seventeen dollars a pound in twenty seventeen. So it's not without some uh, disruption and, and price impact. But that price price signals we're seeing in the market now will encourage that new mine development. So whether it's companies like Uranium Energy Corp bringing on production in Texas and Wyoming. Uh, or Uranium Royalty Corp investing in a number of producers around the world that will be those eight to 10 mines uh, that we need additionally to come online in the second half of this decade. Um, It's an exciting time because we really have had underinvestment for much of that decade that you you started following the space 10 years ago. There really hasn't Mm -hmm. been a lot of new mine development uh, and, yep. and it's sorely needed now, and we're probably playing catch up uh, uh, at the at the stage we're in right now. Can you talk a little bit about the supply destruction we've seen the last few years as uranium prices languished, you know, in the twenty twenty dollar range for a long time, until it you know recently popped up in the fifties and sixties? How much supply did we take offline, and how long does it take to get all that supply back online? Yeah, so the, that inefficient nature of the uranium market we spoke to, when when markets are oversupplied, it it really tends to accentuate that 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 impact because we have a lot of producers that are selling uranium under hedged agreements. So even though uranium prices were falling below production costs, producers were still producing and selling into contracts. It was only after those contracts rolled off that we when began to see uh, producers and even some of the world's largest producers like Kazatomprom out of Kazakhstan, Cameco out of Saskatchewan, Canada, um, Langer Heinrich in, in Namibia, other, other mines all cutting back production. And I think you know the flip side now is in an undersupplied market, there's long lead times to bring mines back into production and, and even longer lead times to bring on a mine that, you know, if it needs to be fully permitted and licensed, you may be looking at six, eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we really only have a limited number of mines that can restart to help meet that gap. The, the additional marginal supplies are gonna have to come from mines which can't just flip a switch and produce tomorrow. And that's where we get, you know, uh, 2007, we saw $137 a pound in the uranium price, which was way above what would be the 
mm-hmm. incentive price for new production, but but that inefficient nature of uranium uh, is what drives these really high highs and low lows. Um, again, as an investor at this stage in the in the uh, commodity cycle, it's very exciting because we really see all the positive demand signals. Uh, we see supply is going to struggle. Uh, even the inventories now that are going to be called on even more so with a Russia Ukraine disruption, <clears throat> we're gonna, really going to see. I think uh, beginnings of a of a supply squeeze, which could be, um, you know, we could easily see those those highs of two thousand seven seen again. Whether that's the sustainable long term price, probably not, but it's easy to see that happening in the coming years. So, describe really quickly what you think uranium bull market looks like in terms of length and and, and impact. How long could this bull market go for? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we try to draw a lot of comparisons to the last bull market, which investors did very well in. But I think this one actually has more legs to it, because if you think of 2007, we had the nuclear renaissance underway. We were building nuclear power plants again, but we still had half the world against us. You had uh, in the United States and in Europe, the political left very much against nuclear power and, and fighting against it. Um, environmentalists weren't on board. Uh, even the investment community wasn't completely warm to to nuclear uranium investments. Well, now we have the taxonomy decisions in the European community, which has kind of given the green light to investing in nuclear as a green sustainable energy. Mm -hmm. We have bipartisan support in, uh, you know, in the United States and environmentalists kind of, you know, doing the math and science and realizing that if we're really serious about carbon emissions, you're going to have to go with nuclear. So I think we have the makings of, of not just kind of a flash and crash story here, but a real sustainable uh, bull market as we build out, um, you know, the next generation of nuclear power plants. And we have to <clears throat> build the uranium mines and the nuclear fuel cycle to support that. Okay. So I live, you know, in the great state of Texas. I've been here all my life. And I think uh, you're involved with a project here, Uranium Royalty. Corporation, which has some assets in Texas. Can you talk a little bit about that company and what the goals are for that company? Yeah, so uh, Uranium Royalty Corp is, is is the royalty company that's owned by Uranium Energy Corp out of Corpus Christi. And so mm-hmm. UEC is, is the Texas and Wyoming producer, the NYSE listed company. We have two production platforms there in, in uh, South Texas and now in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, Recent uh, news at the end of 2021, we acquired the uranium assets of Uranium One from the Russians. So um, everyone remembers the the Clinton story and and, uh, the deal with the Russians. We bought those assets back from the Russians. They're back in American hands. And so now we have these two production platforms. So South Texas is one of the most prospective uh, uranium districts in the world for uh, new discoveries and, and future production. So uh, we'll be kind of leading the way there. And then in Wyoming, which has been historically one of the largest producing uh, uranium states in the U.S., um, we're very eager to, uh, to, to bring on uh, assets there. And so uh, Uranium Royalty has interests in, in uh, UEC's Reno Creek project in, in Wyoming. We also have uh, interest in the Lance project, which has uh, um, uh, been going through a test mining phase in, in north uh, eastern Wyoming, north of Gillette. So we just, we really just want to, in, uh, in Uranium Energy Corp's uh, uh, perspective, we want to be, you know, two of those eight to 10 or more mines needed in this, in this uh, decade that need to come online. In Uranium Royalty's perspective, 
Um, we want to invest in not only <clears throat> mines here in the U.S., but, but globally that'll help meet that, uh, that gap going forward. So uh, again, the, the idea is to provide uh, exposure to uranium uh, uh, early stage in the cycle. We're probably in, in the second inning of, of the uranium bull market that we're in right now. And uh, those are two excellent ways to invest in uranium, either directly into UEC as a producer or uranium royalty as a diversified portfolio. So in terms of, of some of those assets that you mentioned, uh, are they producing or are they going to spin up as we see the uranium price, you know, reach new highs? And, and if yeah, so, when do you expect that to happen? We're coming off of that, that period where much of the, you know, global production was shut in, but mm -hmm. our uh, earliest movers, obviously we have uh, the, the biggest <clears throat> movers in the portfolio will be um, MacArthur River and Cigar Lake in Saskatchewan the world's largest, largest uh, highest grade mines. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been in, uh, <clears throat> Cigar Lake was impacted by COVID, more of it, it's shut down and restart. MacArthur River was a conscious decision by Cameco and Arano to keep it down during the low uranium price. <clears throat> they've announced a, a return to production, um, you know, over the course of, of this year. So those will be back in production and cash flowing in, in the coming months and years. Uh, Langer Heinrich is another investment we have is in a Paladin mine in Namibia, which has gone through a, a big efficiency and cost uh, reduction program to restart under new economics. <clears throat> the Lance project has been producing in, in Wyoming uh, and uh, is going through a feasibility study to, to look at a re full restart here uh, in the coming uh, months, hopefully. So. Uh, yeah, and that's the start. Uh, we, we, we are very active with probably six or seven files to uh, acquire existing royalties or establish new royalties on uh, <clears throat> uranium projects. So uh, this is really a growth platform. And in the interim, we've invested heavily in, in physical uranium uh, near the bottom of the cycle, which gives early investors the benefit of that capital appreciation of, of our physical uranium investment. So it's all intended to give you pure commodity exposure through uh, through this royalty and streaming uh, platform. Okay, Ben, I'm gonna put up on screen a, a slide from the deck talking about who some of the key shareholders are. Can you talk a little bit about who's invested in uranium royalty and, and why they see such interest in the company? Yeah, so the, the company launched two and a half years ago on the TSX and uh, mm -hmm. we got our, our NASDAQ listing about uh, a little over a year ago now. The NASDAQ listing really quadrupling our, our trading volume and kind of putting mm -hmm. us on the map in the US investor world. But um, the company was conceived by uh, some very prominent people in, in uranium mine finance, looks like uh, Amir Adnani, Marin Katusa, Rick Rule, mm -hmm. Darren Milmeister out of Extract Capital, um, uh, Queens Road Capital out of Hong Kong, Warren Gilman. Um, we all saw this sort of um, uh, amazing industry uh, emerge in base and precious metals with Franklin, Nevada, Wheaton Precious, mm -hmm. Sandstorm Royal Gold. And we couldn't believe there wasn't such a, a, a vehicle in uranium. So uh, we launched the company. We, we brought uh, some corporate shareholders along like Uranium Energy Corp, Altius, Mega Uranium that vended in assets that mm -hmm. uh, um, you know got the company off the ground, also provided some debt or some uh, sweat equity and and back office support for uh, you know a, a sort of a, a private company emerging, but really started transform with the public listing on the TSX at the end of 2019, and now uh, off and running. I think the market cap is close to half a billion dollars. 
if we're not a billion dollar company within two to three years, we're not executing on our plans because we really think um, the need for this kind of investment in the uranium space couldn't be more um, uh, obvious today. And uh, you know, we are the only pure play uranium commodity company in the space presently. Uh, that may not be the case forever, but uh, we get the risks and rewards in, in uranium. And so we're, we're ideally positioned to, uh, to really uh, take advantage of, of where we're at in the cycle right now. Yeah, and I think it's going to be important. Uranium is going to be such a huge piece of uh, domestic independence, given the, the geopolitical situation, but also part of the green energy revolution because uranium and the nuclear uh, technologies have gotten a lot cleaner as much of mining has. And, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, but a lot, a lot of the mining and a lot of the, the energy reactors have gotten a lot cleaner. We'll be speaking about that at the uh, Strategic Investment Insights Conference in May. And I just want to put this up on screen for anybody who wants to come. I'll be on the macroeconomic panel with some other uh, gentlemen speaking at this conference. And I know UEC will be there as well uh, at the conference. So if anybody's interested in talking to UEC, you know, they'll be there at that conference along with me. And uh, Scott, will you be participating as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to being part of this. We, uh, we love the, the platform of, of mm -hmm. uh, the Strategic Investment Insights uh, Conference in, in Chicago. And so we'll mm -hmm. be there I think present with uh, with a booth and uh, presenting on the Saturday of the conference. So um, excited to to be up there and and uh, getting back to in person conferences again is uh, uh, I know we're all excited to to meet in person again. So uh, mm -hmm. part of that, and looking forward to it. Yeah, it'd be great. I know it's been a couple of years since we've all done this. Seems like the conferences are starting to rotate now after some delays earlier in the year. So definitely excited to get back on the road and do that. And Scott, we'll see you there up in uh, Chicago, May 5th and 6th. And yeah. anybody that's, that's interested, you know, if you want to go to that conference and see me speak or speak to, to Scott and UEC, uh, you can simply go to strategicinvestmentinsights.com and register for the conference there. Scott, any uh, closing final comments that you have for the viewers? No, just uh, it's exciting times, uh, you know, in commodity space in general, but I think uranium is probably as well situated as, as any commodity today and, and has mm -hmm. a really bright future in terms of long term uh, bull market that's that's underway. So I encourage you to look at uh, Uranium Energy Corp and uh, and its uh, sister company, Uranium Royalty Corp, is two excellent ways to invest in the uranium story. All right. Thank you, Scott, so much for joining us on the program today. You know, how quickly can the utilities wean themselves off of this Russian supply, which in retrospect was a huge risk management failure. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the flip side is there is a robust Western nuclear fuel cycle of uranium producers outside of the Russian Chinese world that can ramp up the uranium conversion, uranium enrichment. It's just we need those signals to say, hey, we're moving on. Um, you know, I think going forward, you'll have a bifurcated market where Russia supplies its, its countries and its sphere of influence, and the West uh, has, its, has its own industry going forward. So a little, a little bit like uh, back how it was in the Cold War early in my career, uh, they were two separate markets, and we may be going back to that going forward.